Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Broker Breakdown with myself and Mike. Mike, we are going to be having some, I don't know, I wouldn't say record highs, but very high temperatures, especially for the beginning or end of May into the beginning of June. I'm getting a little bit worried about these golf courses because we haven't had rain for like the last, I don't know, two weeks. We could we could definitely use some rain. My yes. back my backyard's hurting right now too. <laughs> yes, it is. Even like even like from like week over week because I usually play the same course in in uh, Ancaster, but week over week I, we've been going and like the water levels have like drastically gone down, even just in a few short weeks. So I'm starting to worry a little bit. I really hope that rain is in the forecast somewhere in the near future, so that kind of kind of you know gets things back growing again because the last thing we need is to have another summer like we did last year and a lot of courses were dying because of the lack of rain we had oh just in general right i mean people need people want to be out there and gardening too and doing stuff and it's man without any rain your uh your flowers don't you know don't flourish as much unless you're willing to like water them every day and uh lawns and everything else right so it's it's I you know I'm not going to complain because I love the, I I'd, I'd rather have the heat but it is nice to sprinkle in there a shower from time to time, and that kind of segs segues our conversation for today, which will be part of the conversation from a more general topic. But this lack of rain has basically across Canada realistically has caused a lot of issues out in the prairies, Alberta, British Columbia with the forest fires. I know Nova Scotia recently just had a little bit of a forest fire. I don't know if they're still battling it, but I know rec- or earlier on the week that they were they had announced a forest fire. Um but yeah, this kind of just jumps into our general topic of home insurance and realistically how that's changed since the beginning of the year. Uh when this episode gets um sent out, realistically we're already halfway through the year mike like when the, we when we post this this is like this episode didn't go out on the 6th of june so we're already halfway through the year so we kind of wanted yeah. to use this episode as realistic like an update of what's going on with the home insurance side because last week we kind of did on the auto market um not really d- like directly with auto insurance but kind of how the auto industry is really changed over the last six months but we do want to do a little bit of an update on the home side of things how prices have gone how claims are going really how what's impacting the home side of the insurance equation realistically mike yeah and and we touched on this last week about how inflation has, has been such a big player in the entire supply chain and what's going on with auto but it it obviously affects the same types of um, issues on home insurance and just homes in general. A hundred percent. Like inflation obviously is almost like a bad word nowadays. You really don't, people don't want to talk about it. Just like how COVID was a bad word. Like a few years ago, no one really wanted to talk about it, but it's obviously going to be a factor that's going to impact not only the insurance industry, but of course, realistically any other industry. Like if you go to the grocery store, you're going to be paying more for groceries. You kind of go, by clothing, clothing's probably going to be more expensive because it's going to cost more to ship that kind of stuff. Even rounds of golf, Mike, like I don't know if you've seen, but like anywhere I've gone, where I've gone in the past, the rate's been, I wouldn't say drastically higher, but you, I can definitely see a few extra dollars added on to every round or like car oh, yeah. fees or something <clears throat> like that. So it's, yeah. it's impacting everything. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just, just, just labor costs and, and I guess everything, right. The whole, the whole business operations is going to have different, uh, different expenses that were more than in previous years. So I kind of want to kick this episode off with some stats for you, Mike. And so this is going back to 2021. Um, so in 2021, private PNC insurers in Canada wrote about $16 billion in direct premium for personal property. So that could be anywhere from homes, condos, tenant policies, all that kind of stuff. And here's the kicker to that. In that same year that they wrote $16 billion in, in premium, there was $7.6 billion paid out directly with claims. So that's over half half of the premium that was written, basically, or just under half, actually, sorry, just under half, was basically chewed up through claims. Right. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's a big number. And again, I don't we don't we don't see enough of it on the broker side to really uh, to really even like know or touch base about like, you know, where that all goes, but I mean, just that number alone, right? Obviously paying out for for all the damages and whatnot, it it, it adds up quickly. Then here's another stat. If you add an auto insurance too, which I know this episode is not really about that, but I like I like to look at these stats. I'm very analytical like that. But so basically they're saying more than half of every dollar received on a policy is paid out in claims. So pay, claim payouts, again, as of 2021 for both auto and home insurance, uh, we're 55.6%. And then you kind of go down through some other stuff like operating expenses, uh, like employee compensation, taxes, all that kind of stuff. The profit margins insurance, company, insurance companies made in 2021 was only 8.7%. Right, right. Yeah, that's, that's, that's crazy, right? When you think about it. And again, like I said, over half... And just under half, if you're just going to talk about home insurance, because that's what this episode's about, is literally all being spent on claims. Yeah. Well, that is, I mean, when you think about it, and I know it's different from the brokerage model to the insurance agency model, because it's it, they are different ways in how you pay expenses. But on the broker side, we do most of that kind of servicing work, the arranging of the policies, all of that. But the insurance company does have to pay for, you know, all of their employees that that are help adjudicating in claims and adjusting a claim stuff like that, as well as all the people that are doing the the back end work as well. So the the actual the like the biggest expense is going to be when a claim happens. For example, like how you know how how much is it going to be, right? And we mentioned that on the auto side about how vehicles are just so expensive nowadays. So thefts are so high, but that's no different on the home side from fire losses to water losses to everything else. The average claim is, is going to be more money than it was in previous years. And even, so I have another article here from CTV news um, about that, about costs of homes. And they actually did say that um, homes in Toronto, at least in April, in March actually did see a small decrease in pricing so we are again i'm not saying these these pricing um is 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 great (laughs) like but for example they said the average price of a home in toronto went from 1.3 million dollars in february 2022 down to basically a million in january 2023 so about a three hundred thousand dollars reduction but again 
is this going to be sustainable? Like, cause realistically, yes, we did see that in April or March and April, but from any of the realtors I'm talking to, and again, this could be just, um, seasonal trends because I know a lot of people obviously like to buy in the springtime, buy in the summertime. No one likes to move in the winter. You don't want to be lugging around all your furniture and boxes in the snow and ice and the cold. Like no one wants to do that. So they, most people I would say move in these nicer weather, but now all the realtors I, I work with are saying that you're starting to see now a big influx in people trying to get back on the market and rates on homes are actually increasing again. Yeah, I got I got two friends of mine that are in the, the current space right now looking for places. Um, and I can say just from the chat that we've been having that um, they've been getting not only kind of the no conditions offers that are going up against, but also just offers from other people that are well over, again, the asking price of what the home was listed for. So, I mean, this is two different guys in two different spaces in two completely different cities. And both of them are, are struggling with, you know, those, those kinds of um, problems that I think we saw a lot of during COVID anyways. But before COVID, we never saw this kind of stuff because most places when you bought a home, you would get the inspection, you would go over things. It'd be like, okay, well, if I'm going to buy it, I want the roof redone from you guys, or I want this change or whatnot. Right. But now it's like, people are going in, no inspections, no nothing. Rates are super high. You're basically in a bidding war. Like it's just, it's crazy. Like how in such little time, the norms of buying real estate has changed so much. Yeah. Well, and, and there's, one of the biggest things about that that I know we don't really touch on just because we're not in that that space, but we have a massive shortage of homes, right? Or living accommodations in general, right? Whether they're rental units or condos or just detached homes, whatever it is, there's a massive shortage. So we have so many people looking for places that the overall demand for you know a decent house is, you know, there's just the bidding wars, wars are part of that, right? That you find a decent place. There's not a, so much about like, you know, there's not going to be any other offers so I can kind of wait it out or um, counter offer, stuff like that. That just doesn't exist right I now. I saw an article earlier this week, actually. I don't have it up and I don't know where it was from, but I saw that in 2022, the city of Toronto actually added 15,000 new apartment units. 16,000 more were added to Airbnb. So right there... You can see, yes, they're adding them, but they're not being used for long-term rentals, which again, that's right. a, that could be a whole different conversation, but that's where you're seeing the, the very low demand is that a lot of people are just using them for short-term rentals because they can make more money that way. And again- Yeah, in the, in the short-term too, right? I, there might become a time when like, if everyone is investing in short-term or long-term rentals- I mean, there's got to be a point where, at least I would think, where that supply is is too much. Like there's not the same demand. So the overall pricing model has to come down with competition, right? So with time, but I don't know. I mean, I guess I guess time will tell. I'm not, uh, I don't have those things, but I mean, there's got to be, there's got to be some kind of breaking point because I don't think the average person is going to, you know, can afford $2,000 plus in rent. Right, the the average person, let alone anyone that's below that. But just think, like, look at what Hamilton's done, and what a lot of other cities and towns are looking to do to add that extra 
tax onto properties if you are using Airbnb. So that is going to be a big deterrent, especially if other cities and towns jump on that trend where they do that, where they hope that it's going to bring down the amount of people that are using it as Airbnbs and just rent them out long term so people can actually live in them. But again, that's time's going to only tell, right? Right, right. But kind of getting to the whole gist of this, and I kind of want to go back to the claim side of things. Um, we've seen a huge, huge change in claims, even the last decade. So another stat for you, Mike. Over the last decade, we've seen um, the amount of property claims increase by 36%. So you might not, you might think, oh, well, in 10 years, that's really not a lot. But it's still obviously adding a lot more claims to the market where they weren't prior. So if you're going to, it realistically, it's just a numbers game, Mike. If you're going to have more claims, what's that going to do to property insurance rates? They're going to go up. Right across the board, of course. And the biggest talking point right now, especially in the national news, is all these forest fires that are going on. And if you really even want to like go back even a few years, the biggest insurance claim ever in Canada, and I and I, I mean ever, if you go back seven years ago now, which I can't believe it's already seven years ago, but if you look at the Fort McMurray wildfires that happened, that was $3.5 billion in losses occurred. So right there, that's already almost half of what the total losses were for 2021 from the report that I just uh, said earlier on the episode. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And realistically, I don't think we're going to get there again with what's currently going on out West, but you're still going to probably get to that almost a billion dollars in losses. But what people don't realize is that, yes, the rates in Alberta and British Columbia and Nova Scotia now, they will see the bigger, the biggest hikes. But for insurance companies to stay profitable across the board, like rates in Ontario are, are probably going to have to go up as well because they're going to have to try to spread that risk across all the provinces and not just Alberta because they've not, they're obviously they're going to have to increase Alberta more because it's happening in Alberta. But there's going to be an indirect factor to rates in Ontario also going up on top of the things that go on in Ontario as well. Yeah. 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 I mean, it always, like we said before, it's a trickle down effect and just the overall lumber and forestry sector specifically, right? I mean, the overall cost of, of, of wood to build, I mean, it it goes, it goes up. We've seen that before. We've seen that in the past. Um, And then overall rebuilding costs go up. The, the you know the the new build side goes up everything goes up and as a result you're going to see that trickle down effect because then in general home insurance rebuilding costs increase which is the large portion of the policy as a homeowner so yeah i i would expect you people will start to see uh increases in the coming renewals whether that's 1 to 3 years i mean i really have no idea but it'll it'll it always happens. And then people might be like, so like Mike, let's say for example, oh well, I don't live in Alberta. 
this should not impact me. Like, why am I have to, why do I have to pay for what's happening out there? Okay. Well, you know what? Let's bring it back to home a little bit more. Let's even go back two years ago, which again, might not even seem very long, but look at the Barry tornadoes that happened two years ago. They're, they're basically estimating that that's going to be over a million dollars once everything's said and done. And even from the stats I'm looking at, they said there was over 2,200 insurance claims made during that event. So again, and they're estimating it's going to be over $100 million of damages once it's all said and done and wrapped up. Right. So again, if you want to, if you want to bring it back home, there's your first real claim is again, I know again, we're talking Fort McMurray, 3.5 billion. And then we're talking a hundred million, but still like every little thing's going to add up, right? Everything's going to, Every little kind of claim is going to add up and get to that point where it's going to start impacting people. And like I said, it, it might not be directly like we're seeing now, but again, it's it's not like we're prone to not having these events. And even if you want to get really serious about it, Mike, how many wind storms have we seen even in the last five years that we might have not have seen ever before that's causing so many claims for insurance companies? It's it's definitely a bigger thing than it has been in the past, right? Just wind damage in general. And there, there was a couple different points there. The one thing I wanted to mention is just with the overall number of increased claims too, there, there was a point where we as homeowners did a little more ourselves instead of putting it through insurance. It was almost looked at as like a black mark where I think society has changed where it's, you know, I pay for insurance. I want to use it when I want to use it. Um, and that could be for smaller and smaller events, right? It's not the big fire losses that people are thinking, oh, that's what you have at home insurance for. It's now, you know, I got two grand on my roof. I want to put some shingles in or a little bit of water damage with a restoration company. Like there are lesser claims that are being put in, which prior to before were either paid out of pocket or just dealt with in a different way that, you know, wasn't going through the insurance company. Yeah, we are seeing a lot more smaller claims especially on the homes and and you know what again I'll, I'll go back to it it's all about numbers games right where before when people could afford homes and people were buying homes but now we're almost in a renter's market where people aren't able to afford homes so they're having to go that rental side so a lot of people are more going to that tenant insurance side well with tenant insurance because it's you're not really insuring the home you're insuring the contents so a lot of people are making claims on these small little contents or little floods and stuff that they wouldn't probably do if they own if they own that home. So that's been a big market change as well, where, like I said, before more people were able to afford the home and get into the homing market, but now a lot of people are renting. So you're seeing that change where tenant policies are more common than they ever have been before in the past, Mike. Well, and there's one thing to note too. So with a general claim, it's more than just the damages incurred directly, right? So if you have like a water claim, you're looking at um, very commonly, either if you have water in the basement from like, let's say a rupture or from like a sewer backup, you're going to have some sort of restoration company come in as more like an emergency thing to help clean up as much as possible, um, help, help dry the basement out start chopping away you know, at uh, drywall or flooring or, or, or also saving what you can. All of that costs money, obviously paid through the insurance. But then you also have you know, what contents were lost 
and then what was actually damaged. And there's a there's a couple of big things there. One, more and more people have nicely finished basements than they did before. You know, and you're talking like not 20 grand, James. You're talking like $50,000 plus basements where it's, you know, that's like, that's where you're a living. Theater that's where room. Space is. That's right. Like, that's right. The big theater room, like the bars down there, like there's almost in-law suites, an extra bathroom where like before, going back years ago, basements were just unfinished, laundry room, just an extra place to store some extra stuff that you might not have. But nowadays it's become like a more of a living area. So with that... Yeah with these kind of losses and even just even if you want to look at it, at any kind of loss it doesn't have to be a flood it could be a fire as well it's going to obviously raise the cost of claims because now you're having a full extra floor that's basically now completed and furnished which which if you have knock on wood that kind of horrendous fire loss there's that much more that needs to be paid out through insurance as well so the overall claim amount is going to be more than it was even even 30 years ago Definitely, a hundred percent. I mean that that's that's inevitable, anyways, because just with general inflation, rebuilding costs, materials, um, contents, everything's gone up, obviously, because it has to, and that's understandable. But that's the one trend: is the finishing of what was um, generally more unfinished spaces. I know, growing up, you know, we had a very unfinished kind of like fourth level of a side split house, and all of my buddies that lived in kind of similar family homes had kind of finished basements, but kind of not, right? They weren't, it wasn't like the nice drywall. It was just kind of like some old couches thrown down to like your concrete basement. Um, so, I mean, looking at it now, I mean- Like a that like a that 70s show style, right? Kind like of, that. yeah. <laughs> yeah, to put a picture in some people's head. Like that was, I think that was very common for a lot of like kind of like middle middle class families where now a lot of people do have nicer basements or- Another whole different kind of segue to that is that people have um, either single family or now you know two family homes as renters, right? So it's, it could be the in-law suite. It could be the whole house is rented and it's, it's top floor for one family and bottom floor for another family with two separate entrances. So now you've got that much more a living space or finished living space that, again, probably wouldn't have been the case 30 years ago. Exactly. The market's changed drastically where now a lot of people, because of the cost of living and mortgages and all that kind of stuff, they are basically turning their basements into a rental unit. And again, they might live in the in the top floor. They might rent that floor out too. So there's basically two rental properties basically in one, right? So it's there's a lot, obviously a lot of change. We are going to continue seeing that change moving forward into the year and into 2024. Um it's just, yeah, like I said, it's it's going to be interesting to see, Mike, where we go from here because how, I don't know, like eager, I would say, government and builders want to be on trying to get, they say, a million homes before 2030, I believe it is, built in in Canada. So yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I haven't really been following any of that. I know we obviously have a shortage, and I know that from a political standpoint, I know it's been a lot of talking points from different parties that we need to get, you know, more more homes built for lots of different reasons. But uh, the, who know who knows what the timelines are for that? I guess it would be my point. And here's always been my kind of touch point on this, and I think we've thought I've talked about this briefly in another episode. 
But if you want to make homes affordable, why are you building these massive subdivisions that this like the square footage of these homes are like averaging out at like 3000 plus square feet? Why don't you like chop that down to like half and build a 1500 square foot home and build two on the same lot instead of building these massive mansions that no one can afford? Like there's like that's easily that's done right there. That's solved your problem. But the problem is, is that everyone wants to live in these massive homes and for what, for what reason? Like realistically to me, yeah, like a bigger home is nice, more space and everything, but just think you got to clean it. The property taxes are higher. Your electricity, water, all that kind of stuff. Your utilities are going to be higher. Maintenance is going to be higher. And I, I find a lot of people that I talk to nowadays, they would almost rather downsize what they're currently living in than go stay in their current home or even go higher. So I just don't understand from like a builder aspect or like a government aspect. Why aren't we focusing on, you know, a little bit smaller homes? Like every home does not need to be 3000 plus square feet. Yeah. The, I think think the GTA has a big, um, a big play in that because obviously build, there's lots of money, a lot of builders out that way. We, there's lots of down in Niagara, James, we have lots of, uh, like townhouse complexes being built, things like that, where it's, you know, you got your, your 12, 1500 square feet unfinished basements, like those type of models, which I think works. That's more appropriate. The problem is, is that they're still so expensive though, right? Like it's still even brand new builds. Like there's, there's like nothing under 500,000. Well, I think we were talking off the podcast. I think it was last week there. And I was saying to you, like, even look at for your case, like how long you've owned your home, what you bought it for and what you probably could get it for today. And again, that's only been, I think you said it was like just over five years or just less than five years. Yeah. So, just a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. So look at from that perspective, like you've, you've invested this money and now you're basically almost double your investment in less than five years. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a crazy time. What, I, you know what? And that's the one thing that I think we, we talked to this before. But one thing to note again, this and this is super important, is that the cost of what you you kind of buy a house for is not going to be the same as that, that replacement cost on a James 2, right? And that, that goes back to our claims thing and the, kind of the whole episode is that the replacement cost needs to be appropriate. Don't get me wrong. Um, so square footage, you know, year, construction materials, basement, bathrooms, a couple of those, t- those talking points. But yeah... It, People need to make sure that it's adequately insured because the last thing you want, especially with inflation on insurance, is your home being underinsured, right? That's such a dangerous point to be in. And you won't necessarily know. I mean, I, I guess you hope your agent or broker has led you down the right path of asking questions to make sure it's in that ballpark because insurance companies do have you know, clauses in, in place where it, it needs to be to value, right? You can't you can't insure a two thousand square foot home at a thousand square feet because you're you know you're you're clearly misrepresenting that house, and that's why so, they have those like inflation marks, like especially on the built like the rebuild costs. Like you'll see if you take your last five years of your home policy and you look at it, the rebuild cost has probably gone up a, a little bit every single year because that's basically to protect against inflation, right? Because if things are changing and going up, well, so should the rebuild, right? But again, yeah. 
you don't want to be misrepresented. You can't be saying, well, I live in a thousand square foot home, but it's like a 3000 square foot home. Well, then that we're, we're going to be so off on rebuild that no matter what, we're never going to get to the point where it's actually even close to what your rebuild is going to be on that home. And there is, there's a, there's a certain talking point because somebody might say, you know, if, 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 if it's only, you know, 300,000 to them as like a value perspective, that's all I want to like do it. But the home costs five or six James to rebuild. And that's what the insurance should have been. There is a likelihood the insurance company will either A, just deny the claim or B, give you a very hard time on that because they're going to say, guys, you you haven't been paying the proper amount of insurance premium for what is insured as a, a half completed house, right? If they were to have a fire loss, we would have never been able to get the rebuilding to get back to that for that same price, right? So there's always a reason that typically more if, if a higher value home costs more to insure because it's bigger, there's a reason you're going to pay more for that home insurance. You're insuring a larger structure. Let's just let's just get that out there. And usually with larger structures, more of a general topic, but if you're going to be building a bigger home, you're probably going to be putting more luxury items in that home. Like you're not going to be just using regular like fixtures and like, decoration you're probably going to have a little bit more luxury in them so again if you're using more luxury items that's going to impact the rate as well because that's going to cost the insurance company more to replace if there needs to be um replacement due to a claim that's right that's right it's there's there's certain elements too depending on your relationship with the client there's different ways of doing those evaluations the majority of us use a very similar model in the broker space but there's also um the easy ITV versus the ITV, which one takes in basically all of the general data um, and you kind of populate your your stuff as long as it's correct to what the client says. But there's also the other one, James, and I, I might be saying it backwards. I'm not sure if it's the easy ITV or, or which one it is, but you can actually put in the type of finish of the house, right? So is it like a standard build? Is it more of like that above grade or you know, above average or is it more of like a custom home? And I, this is this is actually interesting because there used to be a time where maybe most homes were of that average construction. It was very common. There's a lot of custom home builders out there right now. So if you're building like a, a built-to-spec type house and your kitchen and bathroom has all these more luxury, fit, uh, luxury finishes, you're paying for that on the insurance because in the event of a claim, you want to have that same house back. It's not going to be the same floor print, but then with um, like quartz versus like that laminate type of countertop, right? There are differences there. Actually, it can be drastic differences in price. And you want to make sure that you're telling your broker that because again, if they're just going to put, oh, well, it's, it's just average. That's built this way. That's built that way. Like again, that's going to definitely impact your rate. So you want to make sure that you're trying to disclose as much as you possibly can to make sure that we're not severely undervaluing what a home rebuild of your home is going to be. And I'd work with a lot of custom home builders. And I, and I say, listen, like this is how it has to be insured because I know you guys are putting custom fittings into this stuff. But again, people don't realize that they think it's just like, it's a, it's a generalized product. You just, it's home insurance and it's covering the home and that's all it does. But no, there's a lot of, factors and very in-depth factors that go into that and even from like i said from the side of you were talking about itv and easy itv there's another 
thing that you can do called iClarify that goes even into more information and more in-depth too, which again, most people don't use. You really only use that if it's a very uh, special case. But again, there's a, a lot of tools that go into making sure that things are insured properly. Right, right. Yeah, there's 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 a lot that goes into it. And at the end of the day, the, um, the one point I wanted to make is that no home policy is the same, right? Every home insurance policy is going to be different, even in your neighbor's house, because the structure is different. Your insurance history as a client is different. Um, even things as simple as like your credit's different. All there's there's a number of different factors, all of which go into it. So what you pay for home insurance is going to be different than everybody else. So there's no such thing as like a generalized policy. There's a lot of similar coverages, I guess you'd be safe to say, between the standard market. Um, kind of companies out there, but there are lots of now optional coverages too, James. Right? There's, I mean, water being the biggest topic of, of in the last five ten years. There are literally different types of water damage, you know, coverages you can put on based on where you live, based on how it enters your home, um, and that that is actually different between all the different companies. So another thing is that you can't just say, hey. Here's my address. Here's my name. Here's my date of birth. I want this, this, this. Give me your lowest quote. That's like you're you're not you're not going to be comparing apples to apples. Not at all. And I I like what you said there about the credit thing because a lot of people don't know is that home insurance actually is based. There is a little bit of a credit check behind it. It's a soft credit check, so it doesn't actually impact your credit, but they do want to see it because. Unlike auto insurance, where you legally have to have auto insurance, you legally don't have to have home insurance, even though we know if you have a mortgage, you have to have it. So there's a lot of kind of gray areas to that. But it is good to note that, yes, when you are checking for home insurance, they do check a soft credit check on on yourself. So Which we thing. don't see as brokers too, right? I mean, everyone needs to know that we don't actually see those, that info. That's all... That's all privacy for the clients that that and we basically don't, they just we don't build it. it into the price. We don't see what the actual number is. It's not like we like, oh, Mike, yours is an is an six hundred. Wow, you have a really bad credit rating. They basically just check it on the back end, and then basically, like I said, they 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 factor that into the premium of, of the home insurance. Exactly, exactly. So there is there's there's a lot of different things, all of which um, all of which affect that price that you're you're paying for the year on your place. So, Mike. Kind of the last talking point I really wanted to make here. We're halfway through the year. We're sitting here. We've seen all these kind of changes. I'll I'll kind of give you my two cents on it, but I kind of want to hear from you. What do you see going into the next six months and going into 2024? What what do you see the like the landscape of home insurance and property insurance look like? Are are we seeing are we going to be seeing more increases? Are companies going to become more strict on things? Like, kind of, what is what is your opinion on that? Yeah, and I guess I'll point out first that obviously, being a broker, there's only so much stuff, James, that we at our level are, I guess, privy to, right, from the insurance company side, right. So, with that in mind, I would say, if I had to take just a shot in the dark, I would say we're going to see increases in the next year. Uh, probably even the next two, just with what's happened in the last, the first two kind of quarters of 2023. You're getting, what is we now in? Yeah, I guess again to the end of, of Q2, right? Yeah. Um, 
with those two first being done and seeing a lot of insurance companies highlight that they are going to see um, increases on property insurance and or auto insurance rates, so 5%, 10%, whatever it might be, there's been more of that than any good news coming down the pipeline. So I would expect that we're probably going to see more increases as well on the home insurance side. Um, it's not always bad news because every policy, like I mentioned, is individually rated. So at the end of the day, if you're a client that's with an insurance company that kind of wants you and that's a mutual, um, it's a, kind of a mutual arrangement where you have a good risk, they want you, they give you a good price. And that does happen with a lot of people out there and they want to maintain you, as, as we say, you shouldn't necessarily see a massive increase, or if it is even a little more than you might have expected, it's probably not the end of the world because other it just might mean that you were paying maybe less than you should have the year before. So I guess what I would say to wrap that up is if you're seeing increases, it's not the end of the world. I don't think we'll see reductions on home insurance this year. And if they are, they'll kind of be those outliers on the chart, right? As a general rule of thumb. But into 2024, I mean, that's what, six months away, it's going to have to, I mean, in this next policy year, if your policy is renewing anytime now for the next year, which they they obviously do renew annually, I, I would think you'll probably see a little bit of uh, an increase on your insurance is what I would say. I would agree with you. And I know I said this last week. But I think over the next three to five years, you're going to see rate increases. And the reason why you're going to see this rate increase is because, one, companies took rate freeze last since COVID. So they didn't rate, they didn't increase rates. Inflation came along, made that even worse because not only are they behind because of the rate freezes, now they're behind because of inflation. Well, inflation's also impacted every other industry on planet Earth as well. So if every other industry on planet earth is going to be impacted their rates are going to go up for literally everything so we've seen new car prices gone up used car prices gone up servicing on your car has gone up home prices have gone up um utilities have gone up so that in fact is going to obviously impact the insurance side of things as well because if everything's in, is changing there it's going to change here so threefold they are so far behind that they have to get back to where they need to be so that they are back to where they should have been prior to doing all these changes. But they can't do it all in one year, Mike, because if they did it all in one year, your rate would probably go up 50, 75%, if not more. So they obviously are not going to do that to clients. On the flip side of things, I know we've sort of started to see it. I think home insurance is going to become more restricted. And the reason why I'm saying that is because if even if you're looking at these numbers and you're basically paying out almost half of your premium into claims, I think companies are going to get a lot more picky on what they take on for risks. And we've already seen it because how many client or how many companies now, Mike, do inspections on homes? Yeah, I don't know. I don't actually get that many that do. Really? Like I don't, once in a while, but I think it's, that goes back to the appetite thing. I think it's, you know, what type of home it is and where it's going to as a market is where you're going to see more of that that inspection thing. Or as a general rule of thumb, if the home is give or take, you know, 100 years old at this point, a century old home, it, it, you know, there's going to be a higher likelihood 
that they're going to want to do an But I'm talking more like even homes that are 50 years old are being pulled on on inspections on, on with some companies. So I think moving forward, I think you're going to see more of those restrictions. I don't know what those restrictions are going to be, but I think that that's going to come down the pipeline. Another big thing I think is going to have to change, which again, consumers might not really care, but I think from us as brokers are going to have to be worried about is the rebuild limit that we're allowed to write with because with these homes increasing in price and the rebuilds going up and we know that we have rules where you can't like companies will only take on like $1.5 million if the rebuild's higher than that. You have to get approval, all that kind of stuff. I think that's going to have to change as well because with how high rebuilds have gotten, if you're looking at any of these new homes, any of these new homes are going to be close to that, if not above that. So I think companies are really going to have to like review that and be like, okay, well, if rebuild has gone up this much in the last little bit, like we got to have to change what we're going to allow brokers and agents to write before we have to review these kind of things. Because imagine having to review literally every policy because it's the rebuild cost is higher than what the company wants. It's, just, it's going to be a mess to do that. Yeah, that's something that definitely have to be addressed because those those underwriting guidelines have been around for a long time. And they, and they really haven't to... changed. They have not changed since this whole pandemic has happened. So we're really right. creeping close to a lot of these companies basically saying on regular homes, they will have to review them because they're, I don't really know what they call it. Their risk management level is, is, is getting close to being able to insure a home because of how high the rebuild is. Well, a lot of standard market insurance companies, I know from making phone calls and, and doing seminars with them, a lot of them aren't necessarily a fan if it's over even the million dollar mark. Like, yeah. this, you know, kind of like those standard ones that we work with anyways. Um, a million dollars on the rebuild is not too far-fetched to see nowadays. A lot of a lot of decent-sized homes are in the eights uh, and nines already. So a little bit of inflation over a couple of years, you could argue you'll get over that point very simply. But um, yeah, I mean, that, that number... I, I think there's going to have to be a little bit more openness from the companies to kind of, you know, increase that number, but also provide brokers a little more of that binding authority to say, you know, if it's built in the last 20 years, if it's hydro protected, if it's, um, you know, if it's it's going to have all those updates, there's not really any problem. It's just the fact that the home itself is a larger square footage. So you're looking at more rebuild. I mean, I think there should be accommodation basis based on the type of risk it is. Instead of it just being a flat out, you know, if it's over a million dollars, it's not really in our appetite sort of conversation, James. That's where I would I would say because I've had that before in the past happen. So I hope that that comes down the pipeline. But again, that's time will tell because I don't make the rules. I kind of just follow them. Exactly. But yeah, that's kind of my two cents. I think, like I said, rates are going to go up probably in the next three to five years. You're really not going to see much of a reduction in them. Like, for example, even myself with my policy, like my policy went up $2. It doesn't really, to me, it doesn't really matter. But again, it still went up. Um, I do think you're going to see a lot more restrictions on what appetites companies are going to have for homes. And I do think they need to address the rebuild amounts because we are creeping very close to the times or the limits that a lot of companies say they don't want more than that. But again, in today's world, it's not too far-fetched that we see these limits being more common than ever before. So I think that might be a little bit of a review that insurance companies probably need to make probably the next two to three years to make sure that they're not 
rejecting homes that they really shouldn't be rejecting just because based off of how rebuild costs have gone up. So that's kind of my two cents on it. The one final thing that I'll say is my final thought, because I, I, I always think about this and I want to make sure that people are aware or at least know is that with inflation, everything has gone up, right, James? We've noticed that on literally across the board from everything from the pumps to food to building materials to literally almost everything, clothing, everything's going up. So the expectation that your insurance policy is not going to change at all is something we need to address only slightly, change our mindset. Because if everything's going I'd up, almost use the word ludicrous because I just, to me... I don't understand where the mentality is that everything else in the world is going to go up, but your insurance is going to go down. I don't understand where people and consumers can really sit there and say, my insurance should go down every year. But but why? Why are you entitled to a decrease every year if the rest of the world is increasing rates too? I just so, don't, yeah, I don't get it, that. It's a societal it's a societal thing that's happened where over the last let's just say 50 years as a number there was probably an expectation through these like softer markets that as you get more licensed you know longer licensed more insurance history uh no claims no tickets you've done all the the, the proper things there was almost an expectation at your your representative level to say on renewal we would expect a reduction, James. And this is like, I'm not saying this for us. I'm saying for the last 50 years, people have been told that by their agents, by their brokers, by just general friends and family in general. So everyone thinks the longer you've had insurance, the lower your rate will go. And that's which, very true to yeah, some which respect. Isn't, yeah, which isn't far-fetched. But realistically, after like 10, 15 years, it's it's really a right at that time. It's, it's really not a factor anymore. After you've been insured and licensed for 10, 15, 20 years, it doesn't matter if you've been insured for 50 years, like realistically, it's really just going to, it's going to come down to what the market's looking like. And if you look back 50 years ago, the market was literally so soft. You literally could do anything you wanted to even 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you could literally write business with any company and any company would take anything you sent them because the market was so soft and they were open for business, they would like to say. But now, that's completely changed. Companies are so picky with what they want. And they say we're in this free market, air quotations, free market. But we're really not. We're really not in this free market where you're allowed to go anywhere. Because they have all these restrictions. Right. So that that's what I kind of wanted to say. Was that in, in general, though, if everyone's saying that, you know, on renewal, we expect a reduction. That's what you've heard for, for 10 or 15 years. When you see an increase on your renewal, your brain goes back to the fact that last year, your representative told you, you would see a reduction if everything stayed the same. So it might've been more of, and I'll use it as more of like a retention type topic to say, hey, we can retain more clients by mentioning this is a general rule of thumb. I, I The thing that I like to say as, a, as an option is when a renewal comes in and I've looked at it and it's like, okay, there's been a little bit of change on the auto. It's gone down a little bit, but the home's gone up and it kind of offsets a little bit. Let's look back over your last couple of years and see where else it was, right? So if it was two, it was, if it was a couple of dollars higher the year before, or if we saw this, maybe that's still the right insurance company. It's just unfortunately the wrong time. 
So let's wait a year and see. If on the following year, James, we see another increase and it's not really warranted in our eyes from the broker's perspective and the client, we can then say, hey, do you want us to shop this? Do you think it's beneficial of moving? Or is there still a little bit of loyalty that you hold to so-and-so insurance company? And that, that goes a long way with people because like we've said before, if everything is only based on price, then you can go online and, and look through literally dozens of insurance companies that are online that you'll never have to speak to ever again that can sell you a policy, but there's not as much value there, maybe in, in, in you could argue. So if it's just price, it's going to be a tough conversation. There's got to be more value. There's got to be more meat and potatoes to it. And that's the way that I approach renewals with people. And you know what? I say this to every single person I talk to that talks about price. Everyone wants to save money, but you get what you pay for. If you cheap out on certain things, it's going to come around and get you at some point. And that's the biggest thing. Why are you going to pay for something that you that's never going to be used? Like, realistically, right. why are you paying for something that when you actually need to use it, you don't even have the right amount of coverage that when you need to use it, it's going to benefit you. So that I would say that's my biggest thing is that you get what you pay for. And if you Very like true. I said, if you want if you want to pay for less, by all means. But I don't want to hear the conversation after the fact being like, oh well, I went somewhere else and now I don't have the right amount of coverage and my house burnt down and they're not paying for it. Well, like I said, you get what you pay for, right? That's the yeah, the, yeah, ag- agreed. That's that's a decent way. That's a decent way to end the episode, I think, too. The cold, honest truth, Mike. That's what I like to call it. Yeah, agreed. Knowing, knowing who you're with is important and trusting that person. But again, we appreciate you guys tuning in this week. Like I said, this will go out uh, next week on the June sixth, um, every Tuesday, twelve p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, make sure you follow and subscribe on whatever streaming services you guys do tune in on so you guys never miss an episode and you guys are notified every time we post. So you guys are one of the first people to actually listen to the um, podcast every week. And again, we would like to kind of get back to, we want to hear more from you guys. Like if you guys have thoughts, opinions, ideas for episodes, definitely reach out to us. Cause again, like it's me and Mike obviously work in the industry. We're seeing things on how we see it we obviously like to bring more people on. Like that's why we like to have more people on is because that kind of gives us a different viewpoint on things. But if there's things that you think, Oh, you know what? Like this would be a great episode or we have questions on this or maybe answer this in the next episode. We'd like to kind of start adding that kind of stuff into every episode where we're maybe answering some questions, doing like a Q and a section or whatnot. Um, so yeah, keep that in mind for future episodes. If you guys have questions or concerns or want us to do certain things or have anything you guys want us to answer, just reach out to us. We'd be happy to add it into an episode um, in the future. Yeah. That's, and that's, a, I, I totally agree. And uh, a little bit more of that community too. We, we love it. So it, it brings up things that uh, we sometimes overlook as well. But thank you guys for tuning in this week and we'll check you guys next week on the broker breakdown.